Welcome to WDTNN's podcast, Workforce Development Technology News Network. Your host, Dustin Swain, Burns Phillips, and Dr. Clay Phillips. Hey, today we're going to take a closer look at the use case for digital transformation within the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development. And for today's segment, I'm going to hand this off to our moderator, Dr. Clay Phillips. Okay, thanks, Dustin. And uh, as uh, Dustin just stated, uh, we're going to drill into the use case of the actual digital transformation process from start to finish as best we can in this time slot uh, that the uh, uh, recent former Commissioner Burns Phillips, who's on with us this morning, as well as Deputy Commissioner Dustin Swain uh, that you just heard from. So let's get started uh, on this podcast with some background, just so our our listeners uh, know who we're talking to and where you guys are coming from. So let's start with Burns, prior commissioner for the Tennessee Department of Workforce, uh, Labor and Workforce Development. So prior to your appointment as commissioner over this department by Governor Haslam, uh, Burns, tell us about your professional experience leading up to this. Uh, Thanks, Clay. My career really started uh, in state government, uh, back in the dark ages, if you will. Uh, I worked for the state of Tennessee for about seven years, uh, under three different governors and left and went to the private sector and, uh, was involved in sales and marketing of medical, uh, products and eventually started my own company and, uh, was very fortunate. It did well, it grew. And it was a medical manufacturing and distribution. We distributed our products uh, in around 30 countries uh, and through a distributorship network. And so we did manufacturing and we did uh, in the United States and in Europe, and we imported some products as well. I, I uh, sold out to my partners and retirement didn't set real well with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I eventually went to work for the state because as so many people who have retired, uh, you just need something to do. You need something to, to challenge your mind, to keep you busy so that you don't uh, deteriorate. And so I went back to work for the state in uh, 2010 in the Department of uh, Transportation. And at that point in time, Governor Haslam had, came in and wanted each department to do a top to bottom review. And uh, for whatever reason, I was uh, appointed to to head that up in the Department of Transportation. And one thing led to the next until ultimately uh, the governor asked me after being in his customer focused government office for a while to take over in the Department of Labor Workforce Development. Uh, and, And so I came from the private sector in into the public sector. Uh, in around uh, 2010. Okay, and what would you say then? It sounds like that. Uh, uh, not to, uh, not to be too cliche about it, but something seemed to draw you back in uh, to the the government sector. Uh, what would you say that was in particular? Well, frankly, it was just to have something to do. But once I got involved with the Department of Transportation. Uh, I quickly learned that the the individuals who work in public service, contrary to what a lot of people believe, uh, are very talented and most of them are very dedicated to what they do. And I felt like that, you know, at at my age, I had an opportunity to really 
contribute something to helping uh, individuals' lives in the state of Tennessee because much of what government departments do helps change people's lives or helps them through difficult situations, uh, helps them improve. And, and that seemed like something that I wanted to be involved in. And uh, in government, as a public servant, we had the opportunity to do that. So really, the reason I went back to work was to have something to do, but it very quickly turned into uh, uh, a comfort uh, and to be able to actually engage individuals and help them on so many different levels. Okay, thanks. Uh, and before we get into uh, and talk with Dustin about his background, Burns, uh, what was it about Dustin that uh, when you were interviewing and looking for deputy commissioners that really, uh, you know, caused you to decide to select Dustin as your deputy? Well, the first thing that impressed me about Dustin was the fact that he had started in that department really on a front desk in a career center. And so he had worked his way up through every level of the department uh, and had an in-depth knowledge that a lot of people didn't have about all aspects of the department. So if you combine that experience with and knowledge with his uh, uh intelligence and perceptiveness uh, he was it was a no-brainer to get him to come as my deputy um, again he was one of those people that I ran into in state government that are incredibly talented and are sometimes just not in the right place so you have to get the talent uh, in the right position so that they can uh, maximize their talents to their benefit and to the benefit of the organization and so he was the very first one that I identified and, and knew that he would be a deputy for all those reasons, good deputy. And we, we tried, from that point, we tried to do the same thing with our assistant commissioners. Uh, we wanted to make sure we had the best talent we could. And uh, that's, that's what, uh, what we did throughout the time we were there to make sure that people with the skill sets and the talent and the personal uh, uh, skill sets we're in the right positions in the department. Okay, great. And that's that's a good time to segue over to you, Dustin. Um, and uh, the Burns has told us a little little bit about your experience while you were um, uh, working at the department prior to being uh, selected as his deputy. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about that and any other professional experience that you had leading up to uh, your appointment and selection as uh, as his deputy. Yeah, uh, and thanks, Burns, for those comments. Really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I did start out uh, my career with the department at uh, the one of the American Job Centers, or back then we called it Career Centers. Uh, I was at the front desk, you know, part-time, and I was uh, attending law school at night. Uh, it was a four-year program, and uh, I needed to work while I went to school. I pretty much had a job ever since I was 13, so... Uh, from cutting lawns to working in a produce warehouse to, to anything you can name. But, you know, that led me to find after I graduated college that I wanted to get back to uh, the citizens of the state. You know, it's a, a privilege and honor to do so. But I started out on the front desk answering telephones, directing traffic in the career center. And if anybody's ever worked one of those type jobs, you know, that's kind of like that's the airport controller, right? There is crisis coming into the center. You've got people who have lost their job. They're looking for help. And you've got to be able to find a way to help console them, but also help get them back on their feet. 
And there were many programs that allowed us to do that work and um, really valued that time at the Career Center. It's always stuck with me uh, throughout the years because you get to see that face-to-face interaction. You get to see, at the end of the day, you've made a a difference in someone's life. And uh, so then after I graduated law school, fast forward, uh, I was asked to, uh, instead of practice law like my wife, I think, wanted me to, and I was, you know, thought I was going to go, I got promoted. I went to central office and started out, uh, uh, you know, helping with unemployment insurance. And that was back when uh, the big crash occurred. You know, we had the Great Recession kicking off. So there was a lot of phone calls to answer. And we'll get into more of that later. But uh, that time there, too, also taught me a lot about uh, the, the needs of the department. So uh, going a little bit further, I uh, had the opportunity to, through that time period, there was additional monies coming in. And I was able to set up some grants, some programs, uh, reemployment services. We set up some mobile career coaches to help out in the rural communities and uh, just really try to give back to the communities as much as we could. And, um, you know, through that time, I got appointed to a director spot and then went up to assistant commissioner. And then shortly thereafter, um, Burns was appointed as interim commissioner and asked me to be his deputy. And I had to tell a quick story about that. Uh, so... I got asked early on and, you know, whenever there's change in government, sometimes there's fear. (laughs) And uh, we had come out of a culture there at the department where there was a lot of fear. And um, so I got asked by the interim commissioner to go on a field trip to Memphis. All right. So like end of job for like three days, (laughs) I've only been in the assistant commissioner spot for a few months, maybe five months. And we take a six hour road trip down there and back. uh, And, Got a lot of, you know, as Burns likes to call it, windshield time with them. And we talked about everything. But what was important about that trip, I think, was the opportunity to really share uh, about the past experiences that I had in the department, what I thought, you know, could occur in a department with the right leadership. And, um, you know, just just these backstories of even from my time of being an announcer in a demolition derby circuit. I think all those type experiences, uh, when I shared them with Burns, um, you know, it was kind of like, wow, who is this dude? So, um, yeah, I've always kept a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, I've helped build websites for numerous people, uh, which has allowed me to expand my knowledge outside of work uh, and looking at newer technologies all the time. Okay, and i got to thank you both for that. That's uh uh, to me, anyway, as a as a fellow Tennessean, it's very encouraging uh, to know that uh, not only did uh, you know both of you come into those positions equipped with some pretty unique uh, skills, but you also had a lot of experience in the trenches, as we say. Um, and I think anybody that's in any kind of leadership role uh, finds a, a lot of substantial value. Uh, to somebody having that kind of experience. And then, you know, too, your willingness to come in and bring that experience and that knowledge base that you had um, into, you know, not really a world that you didn't know, but, you know, we'll get into that in just a moment, but uh, perhaps into a department where you really didn't know what you had ahead of you. So at this point, uh, guys, let's move on and uh, let's just start uh, uh, getting into the good stuff here. And that's what our listeners want to know. And that's how uh, you guys actually digitally transformed the Department of Labor and Workforce Development, why you thought it was necessary to digitally transform the department, how long it took you 
to really complete the first cycle of the transformation process, what your biggest obstacles were and how you overcame them, and what the most notable payoffs have been since this, uh, this digital transformation really came to fruition. Okay, so Burns, uh, it, why don't you start us off by, you know, describing the overall condition of the Department of Labor and Workforce Development when you took office? What was it like? What's the, what's the first thing you saw? What are the first things you heard? And what was your, you know, your, your, your general initial assessment? Clay, we've spoken, uh, you and I have spoken before about how important culture is in an organization, whether it's in the private sector or public sector. Mm -hmm. And the environment that existed at the Department of Labor and Workforce Development was, uh, was toxic, extremely toxic. It was management by fear, uh, was very destructive to creativity and innovation because everyone who worked there was in a survival mode. Uh, they wouldn't make a decision because they feared that it would jeopardize their job. Uh, so they were very much just trying to survive from day to day in a very toxic environment that was really uh, probably the most toxic, you know, most crushingly debilitating, uh, productivity-destroying, uh, innovation-squashing environment I had ever seen. And it was operated and managed very much like a traditional hierarchical organization. Nothing positive was happening not because talent wasn't in the department, but because the talent was in the wrong place and the management style was oppressive. Uh, it was incredible uh, to see the uh, unhappiness, to see the stress in individuals every single day when I would visit the department because I had the opportunity to visit the department before I was asked to uh, take over as the commissioner. And, and you know, we knew that unless we straightened that out, we weren't going to be able to straighten anything out. We were not going to be able to turn the department around if we didn't change the culture uh, that existed there. Well, what were some of the first steps that you that you took that you if you can remember that far back? I know a lot's <laughs> happened since you walked in that that commissioner's suite and and took a, took the reins and you recognized this problem. You recognized the 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 negative culture and everything else that comes along with it. So uh, if you would just break that down a little bit, you saw this, you saw it was a problem, and then how'd, how'd you begin to strategize on how to address that? The first thing that, that had to be done was to try to immediately change the, the culture, to eliminate fear, because fear was the overwhelming uh, emotion that existed in the department. And so we, called all of our assistant commissioners together and very early had a staff meeting where I laid out really five or six very simple rules because they were everybody there was functioning under uh, a, a huge weight of rules and regulations that were unnecessary and designed for control. So the first thing we said was is that number one, that Nothing mattered except how you did your job, not the color of your skin, not whether you were short, whether you were tall, what your religious preference was, even your sexual preference. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered and was going to matter going forward was how you did your job. We also said that everybody in the department was expected 
to treat everyone else with dignity and respect, regardless of the personal feelings that you might have for somebody. But everybody was to be treated with dignity and respect. Uh, we were also going to always tell the truth, whether it was internal or external. We were never going to misrepresent uh, the truth to the legislature or to the, uh, the governor or anybody in the executive branch because that is devastating. If you, if you lie, a lie will eventually catch up with you. It's like a tumbleweed. It just rolls along, and as it does, it gets bigger and bigger until you really cannot handle it. But you can always deal with the truth. Another thing that we established was that mistakes were not fatal to your employment. In other words, we wanted people to make decisions. We wanted people to contribute, to be creative and innovative. And that does not happen if people are afraid. So we've made sure that people knew that a mistake is not going to cost you your job. Now, we expect every individual to tell us, if you make a mistake, tell your manager, and we expect that to come to my office, but that's a learning opportunity. That's a chance to get better, not to punish someone. And so we did that to make sure that everybody knew that I can actually speak my mind. I can actually offer up ideas and suggestions and not get myself in trouble. As a matter of fact, we expected that. We wanted a steady flow of information, ideas from the bottom to the top, because the people at the top don't have all the answers. We wanted the, a constant flow, and we pointed out some we won't we won't uh, adhere to, some we won't implement, but we want to hear them all. And and what was important is that they had an opportunity to provide input from their perspective in the department. Uh, we also said that uh, we were going to have fun at that department. We're all adults. We all know what the limits are, but we want to be able to interact with our fellow workers so that we enjoy the place of work. Life's too short to wake up in the morning, we, we said, and dread coming to work. So we want to create a fun place to work, and that means that you have to be able to engage your fellow worker, your associates, uh, on a personal level, and even joke and kid, and, and uh, even pull practical jokes. I mean, we, we all are uh, adults. We know what the limits are. But we're not going to have an environment that's so sterile that, that you cannot enjoy your time in the office. We we're going to have fun. And those were really the basic rules that we laid down from day one. And I think that started to shape the culture because this was something brand new. This department was not uh, familiar with that kind of a management style. And it was amazing to see them grow once the the, uh, the these rules were what controlled behavior uh, and we use the uh, expression or the uh, the uh, example of a garden you see a garden it's not dead the plants are not dead but it's infested with weeds and all the flowers uh, are are wilted and almost dead but not quite what we did is we went in and we pulled out all those weeds and we provided sunshine, fertilizer, uh, water, and that garden flourished. And, and the plants in the garden, if you will, were the people. It was amazing to see them blossom once they knew that they were part of the organization, they were important, 
and they personally could contribute to their own workspace and to the success of the department. It was a wonderful thing to see. Okay, and I think too, it, it, you know, in my summary anyway of what you just shared with us is that, and I think we can all agree in, in most uh, people in leadership positions and professional development uh, roles uh, would agree that uh, at the heart of every culture, whether the culture is good or bad, is is some level of communication and and some skill level of communication and to me it sounds like that that was at least one of the key barriers that that you experienced coming in was that uh, that there there just wasn't a lot of effective communication happening uh, you know laterally vertically and horizontally is that a, is that a fair assessment that's very much the case any organization needs to have a steady flow of communication uh, from top to bottom, bottom to top, uh, even across laterally, across the divisional lines. And people have to know that they have access to those who are in positions, uh, management positions higher than, higher than they are. As a matter of fact, I had a coffee cup on my desk that said on the front, uh, uh, I have an open door policy. And then jokingly on the back said, I'm gonna take care of that in the morning. But what that said was that I had, I did have an open door policy, and and Dustin did too. Anybody could walk into my office at any time. They didn't have to go through the sec, my my executive assistant. They didn't have to make an appointment. They just walk into the office, and it wasn't unusual to have four, five, six people in my office. We weren't there for a meeting. We weren't there for a specific topic, but we were all there, and the cross pollination was incredible. Because in, in those rela that relaxed atmosphere, even though maybe the first person who came into, the, into my office had a specific subject matter to talk about, when others would come in, suddenly the, the, the uh, symbiosis that existed between divisions, the ability to leverage resources and talent, they really came out in those informal gatherings. And those would not have happened had we not had Dustin and I had open door policy where somebody could come in at any time. And that applied also to any meetings we had, unless it was a matter of personnel, there's a personnel issue or an outside visitor. But everybody knew from somebody in the mail room all the way up to the uh, commissioner suite that you could come in either one of our offices at any time. And we wanted that. And what that established in the minds, we think, of the employees was trust. They knew they had access, they knew they had a direct line for communication, and they knew that we trusted them. Okay, the, uh, and I, I wanna try to help uh, tie the different sides of this together, you know, based on all these observations that you made when you came in, and uh, I'm gonna ask Dustin to share his observations as well. So real quickly, if you don't mind, you know, in the interest of time, uh, is there anything in particular that uh, you tasked your new deputy, Dustin, with uh, based on, on these observations of yours? Yes, there, there, there were, because going along with this, this uh, culture, this toxic, uh, dysfunctional culture uh, was the fact that the department at that particular point in time, we uh, have unemployment insurance, had unemployment insurance in the department. And that program was very dysfunctional and it was based on a 40 year old COBOL system. 
we were getting a half a million pieces of paper a day. We were getting 800,000, uh, excuse me, a month and 800,000 phone calls a month. And we were in, in back order, a backlog of 64,000 cases or appeals. And we really had no information about why. Those were symptoms, those weren't the cause. And, and we wanted to get to the root cause. And that's what started us down the road of digitization. Uh, and that's, we knew that we, first of all, we had to take care of the paper and Dustin can, can speak to that because he set that, that scanner operation up. But we knew we had to get rid of all the paper, the half a million pieces of paper coming in a month to stack on top of rooms full of paper already. And we knew that we had to know our customer and we had no way of really knowing our customer with uh, the tools that we had uh, at that point in time. So Dustin and I knew that we had to, first of all, tackle that, that situation to get that burden off of the employees' backs and then continue to try to modernize the department with 21st century technology. Okay, that's a, a, a great spot to, for us to, to move uh, in, uh, in the direction of the other side of, of you guys' strategy and plan uh, to uh, begin to implement this uh, transformation uh, within the department. So Dustin, it seems like one of your main functions early on anyway as deputy commissioner uh, was to establish and to de design some methods uh, for assessing the department's efficiency and effectiveness across all the divisions of the department, you know, with respect to what Burns just said, with, you know, the, the stacks of paper and the phone calls and the faxes, uh, et, et cetera. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah. I mean, I, I think right out of the gate, one of my biggest tasks were just day-to-day -day business operations as a whole. And with six major divisions, uh, you know, trying to share that time with each one while the immediate pain point was unemployment insurance, uh, that was a little troubling at first. But uh, I think one of the things that really helped me from my past experience was being able to work with so many support groups within uh, the department and knowing what they can provide. And, and speaking about the talents that the commissioner mentioned, yeah, there were a number of people with many talents. And so just having that kind of knowledge about where to go uh, if we needed something to happen. So first part is, what is the problem, right? When we talk about what we had to face was root cause analysis. We were getting a lot of water cooler talk in management meetings about uh, what they thought might be the problem, what might be wrong. And uh, throughout that process, it became very clear that we did not have the information that we needed to make informed decisions. And so one of the very first things we did within the specific pain point of unemployment insurance was we needed to convert that paper to digital, digital information that we could make decisions on. Um, so the very first thing we did was we, we got a, a vacant room that was down on the first floor. We converted it to a mass digitization project where we had three BizHub machines that weren't being fully utilized and re repurposed those. We got 16 members down there, and we started moving that paper into electronic format. And then from there on, uh, you know, it was it was getting the information uh, to the people who needed to make the decisions on those claims and so on. What was really interesting about all that was that, um, you know, because Commissioner had defined the culture and uh, really set, set out some management philosophies from people were not resistant to change. I can say from my point of view, 
the most important thing he did day one when he came in was said, you can make mistakes. I mean, that was very liberating. That told me, hey, go, go try and do. That's all I thought. That was my mantra. Go try, go do. Go try, go do. And if it didn't work, back up, you know, and, and try again. But don't stop because, you know, everything that we do, whether you're in government or business, is it's a process. It's a process all the time. And you've got to continuously improve. And if you stop at the first failure, you're never going to move forward. And so I think that was one of the crucial things he tasked me with was go find the people to go do, right? It wasn't me and it wasn't him, but it was that philosophy that carried throughout the department. And then, you know, just having my background, knowing who those people were, or at least going to find that direction of whom to go get, you know, and passing that knowledge on and that communication saying, hey, it's okay. You know, we're going to try some things that may not be uh, what we've always done. But we're going to try it differently, and we're going to because that's the only way that you can actually improve something. If you keep on doing the same thing, you're never going to improve. So, uh, you know, that was my day to day, <laughs> and it was just finding those processes that had uh, really failed us uh, because of antiquated technology, because of poor processes, um, you name it, and then helping out those divisions. And what really started to happen because of the communication structure that the commissioner put in place was that once you started dropping those seeds within those divisions, it started spreading, kind of like Bermuda grass, <laughs> right? <laughs> It'll get into everything if you don't contain it. But that was good. That's what you wanted to happen between uh, the different groups. Okay, and it, you guys indulge me for a second, too. I think it's important for uh, our listeners uh, who have not uh, perhaps you know, uh, been a part of a journey like this. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, mostly being an outsider looking in is that um, I see that, you know, you guys came into uh, a ground zero of, uh, of and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to make any assumptions here, but uh, pretty much purely uh, an analog world an analog ground zero that you walked into and and to get a visual for our listeners that you literally had stacks mountains of pieces of paper on tabletops in a room within the department that you designated to literally digitize scan in each pieces each of these pieces of paper just to mitigate the damages in the backlog of the analog world that you inherited. Is, is that an accurate statement, guys? Yeah. Yes, very yeah. much. So we're not, I'm not exaggerating when, when I give that description. No, not at all. And, you know, even, even beyond the paper, our incoming information was being published to paper. So, you know, there was a transformation needed to occur there was that, hey, it's coming in digitally, online. Like even just go back to a web form a contact form. Mm -hmm. Let's don't send that to paper. Let's don't send that through email. There's a better way to handle that. So and, externally, uh, you were getting uh, analog input, and then internally, you were processing it and perpetuating the analog yes. uh, world and process of Absolutely. data yeah. collection. Okay. And I, we all know the importance of data, particularly if we're going to measure performance and um, efficiency and effectiveness. And what what were some of the steps beyond this? Okay, you scanned all these these paper documents in, and uh, you mentioned and correct me if my my numbers wrong. Did did you 
did you say you were processing 800,000 phone calls a month? Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that was not unique as we found out. And, you know, one of the next things that, uh, that, hap that happened was what Commissioner said earlier was that we had to find out who our customer was if we were ever going to get the root cause of this animal, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, another thing that he kind of tasked me was, you know, let's, let's get to the root cause of this stuff. We're going in circles here with management not having that information. You know, getting the things from paper to a digitized form was good. I mean, it gave us some things to go off of, but it wasn't enough. If you ever truly want to know what's happening within your company, within your government space, whatever, listen to your customer. They will tell you every single time. And you can group those comments together. And then you start to see, wow, 85% of our problem is this. And what, what would happen if we addressed that? If we did nothing else but address that? And, and it come to be in our department was unemployment insurance. Once we started measuring what that 85% was, uh, it, it showed us that they wanted to know simply a status, and that was it. But how did we get there? We got there because we found a tool. And that tool was a, a system that uh, was a ticketing system that basically started us from beginning all the way to the end and every step in between that allowed us to see that customer's journey and to map their experience. And through that, we learned an awful lot about our processes, not just from what our management team had been telling us, but also from the customer's point of view. And when you merge those two things together, that's when the magic starts to happen. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us today on our two-part series titled digital transformation and if government can do it why don't you be sure to join us tomorrow to learn more about the tools used as well as the benefits that you can realize from a digital transformation yourself thanks and we'll see you tomorrow